What number is this, Chip? Zilch156, the monkeys present side two discussion. <laughs> okay, not mean like don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. You're listening to Zilch, a monkeys podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm your host, Ken Mills, today. And today we are discussing the Monkeys Present, Side 2. Last episode was a sensation with some folks agreeing with the panel and some folks not agreeing with the panel. As always in the Monkeys verse, your mileage may vary, as it should. That is why there are different strokes for different folks and so on and so on and shooby dooby dooby. But that's enough about Frodus. Let's look at the monkey's mailbag for some feedback and some questions. PO Box it's always great to hear from our listeners, and you can send us an email or a PM or even ask the question on the Facebook page. We got an email from Andrew Cohen who writes, I love the podcast, so glad you guys are out there. Why don't you play the full versions of songs in the podcast? And why do you sometimes play live versions instead? Well, in case you, listener, are wondering the same things, here is why. Answer, we do not own the rights to play the whole songs. We play a minute or two of the song depending on what we're discussing. Sometimes we'll play the bridge of a song or a solo if that's what we're discussing. But we also try to use this podcast to send you to purchase music from legit sources. The reason for the live versions that we play and get off of YouTube is because some of the lineups of the monkeys are different, and it's sometimes the instrumentation, for example. The arrangements are sometimes changed along with the instrumentation. Sometimes the live versions of these songs become a different animal. And as they are not legitimately released and found on YouTube, we let you hear these as you could hear them on YouTube as well. So thank you, Andrew Cowan. I hope that clears that up for you. There's a lot of cool feedback on the first episode of The Monkeys Present Side 1. And to many people, this may be the first time that they've heard of this album, believe it or not. For some Monkees fans, the first few albums are as far as some folks will go. But I believe that is one of the great things about this podcast, is that we shine a light on some of the corners of the Monkees universe that some have never explored. Carolyn DiBiase-Negron writes, Since I'm from the first generation fan base, I only went as far as those first five albums. Listening to these roundtable discussions make me feel like I've graduated from Monkees Junior High to Monkees College. Thank you. And that's the cool thing. It doesn't matter when you became a Monkees fan, whether you're first generation, second generation, 33 and a third generation, whatever you are. And it's cool that we're all in this together. So thank you for listening and thank you for being part of the Zilch podcast and the Zilch Facebook page. Love is understanding It's in everything 
answers seem so clear. So before we get into the roundtable, I'd like to discuss the album a little bit. Let's take a look at how the album and the singles were received by the record-buying public back then. The album featured two singles. Listen to the band, backed with the non-LP song, Someday Man, which reached number 63, and Good Clean Fun, backed with Mommy and Daddy, which upon release reached number 82 in the U.S. with neither charting in the U.K., both singles did much better in Australia, reaching number 15 and 26, respectively, and giving the Monkees their last hits. The title, Good Clean Fun, which bears no relation to the lyrics, was a direct response to music publisher believed to be Lester Sill, who told Michael Nesmith that, in order to have hits, he would have to write songs that were, quote, good clean fun. Originally the flip side to April's 1969 Someday Man single, Listen to the Band was reissued as the A-side after Cole Gems noticed that DJs were favoring the Nesmith tune over Davy Jones' fantastic Paul Williams cover. There were ads and promotional pushes for the album. Wait a minute, this doesn't sound like good clean fun. It doesn't even sound like the monkeys. There's a smile on the wind as it touches my face and starts to erase all the gloom and the sun with a kiss begins to dismiss the memory of my life without you but it's their new single good clean fun on cold gems records and tapes well, it seems like when you hear the monkeys new single good clean fun you're gonna like it because you've never heard the monkeys giving out with a sound quite like this why, it's almost a Nashville sound. That's right, Nashville. Good, clean fun in stores now from Colgem's Records and Tapes. Though the song Listen to the Band was not a huge hit at the time, the song has become a sort of theme for the group. Though Nesmus claims that the lyrics weren't a plea to be judged on musical merit, people nonetheless chose to view them that way. Rhino Records even chose the song's title as the name of the group's box set released in April of 1991. Mike would later re-record it with his own group, the First National Band. Incidentally, Listen to the Band was originally performed with Peter Tork on their NBC TV special, 33 and a Third Revolutions Per Monkey, earlier that same year. That version differs greatly from the single or album release. The album mix of the song has a slightly longer organ bridge section than the single mix does. The original plan for The Monkees Present was to release a double album which devoted one side to each member of the group, who by now were recording virtually as solo artists. With Peter Tork now gone, and record sales waning, the decision was made to pare the track selection down to a single disc. Oh, what might have been, think about it, the Monkees answer to the White Album. By the time recording had begun for The Monkees Present, the Monkees had passed their commercial peak. As Screen Gems' interest in the Monkees' activities wane, the members were given more control over the creation of the album. Unlike Instant Replay, all but two of the songs were recorded in 1968 or 1969, and the album was accompanied by a strong advertising push, including a cross-promotion with Kool-Aid. Side of side. Make friends with 
And a tour with Sam and the Good Timers, a seven-piece R&B backing band. This was the Monkees' last attempt at commercial viability, reaching only number 100 on the Billboard chart. Shortly after the album's release, Nesmith announced that he was leaving the Monkees to form his own group, the First National Band. Other songs that were recorded at the time, Nesmith's Hollywood, as well as Boys and Hearts, Apples, Peaches, Bananas, and Pears, My Storybook of You were songs that were considered for the album, but ultimately rejected. Mojo Magazine writes, The Monkees present is far too weird and strange to be dismissed as merely okay. It is one of the great damaged wonders of the late 60s pop. Seek it out. And our folks over at themonkeysliveallmanac.com, and I'm going to recommend that you check out these two websites. We love them both, use them all the time here at Zilch. Check out www.monkeysliveallmanac.com and www monkeys.coolcherrycream.com for some of the coolest monkey stuff on the net. Well, back in July of 2014, Monkeys Live Almanac did a poll. They write, The votes are in. For the last month, Monkeys fans have been asked to choose their favorite one of three albums recorded by the group at the tail end of their original formation. Out of these three albums, Instant Replay, The Monkees Present, and Changes, this is how the voting went. Fans chose The Monkees Present as their favorite late-era LP, with 51.61% of the vote going to The Monkees Present. It came out on top. In second place, Instant Replay, with 40.73% of the vote. And in third place, Changes, with only 766 percent of the votes and that was from the 2000 july monkeys live almanac poll well here we are it's time to dive into the monkeys present side two discussion roundtable with david ghosty wills melinda gildart our two jeffs jeff Geringer and jeff hewlett see if you agree with their takes and we will be back on the other end of this so without further ado or further ado here is our zilch roundtable discussion of side two Hello again, Monkeys fans, and welcome to part two of our Zilch Roundtable coverage of The Monkeys Present. So on this recording, we're going to be talking about the B-side of The Monkeys Present. So if you haven't caught the first part of our discussion, please head over to the Zilch website or iTunes and look us up and have a listen. We always have a great time, by the way, this fantastic panel who I am honored and privileged to be back with again to continue our conversation, starting with Mr. Jeff Geringer. How are you tonight, sir? Doing great. And if you really love this album, please go back to the archives and listen to the first part of this countdown, because it's you'll love it. If you love that <laughs> album, you'll love our countdown. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Continuing around the table, Mr. Ghosty Timmers returns to the podcast. How are you tonight, sir? All your storybook friends. <laughs> Hello. Oh, good God. Oh, it's starting already. We're a minute and 20 <laughs> in and we're starting already. Oh, boy. All right. Melinda Gildard, how are you? I'm doing great. And if you listen to side one already, we apologize, Zilch Nation. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, maybe it's safe to say if they listen to part one, they won't be listening to part two. I don't know. We're going <laughs> to skip it. That's just me. Uh, all right. Well, I guess since we've already uh, revisited part one here, let's quickly refresh the audience on our feelings on the album as a whole. And I guess I'll I'll throw myself on the pyre first and uh, I'll repeat my thoughts from the last episode. The album is very mixed bag. A um, couple tracks that I like on the whole doesn't feel monkeys to me, doesn't rank amongst my favorites, although I have a couple standouts that I do like. Um, not an album I really ever listened to uh, from stem to stern. I, I hardly ever go from track one all the way to track 12 on this record. I did it when the handmade box came out back in 2013 and I've you know, I have a, a monkey's playlist that I cherry pick all my favorite songs and I throw them in. That's usually what I listen to when I'm uh, looking for my monkey's fix. So, um, I guess, well, let's throw over to Ghosty. Uh, let's refresh the audience on your overall thoughts on the monkey's present. This is the monkey's album. I listen to the least mm. much like uh, what you were just saying. And if I put together a monkey's compilation for the car or for someone else, you know, listen to the band gets on there oh, and yeah. that's, really about it maybe good clean fun um i think that side two might be slightly better than side one um just by virtue of a couple of songs but that's not saying much <laughs> again it's a difficult album it just sounds like a an album where i can't say that no one cares but it just feels like uh you know, Mike is caring about the stuff he's doing and Mickey is caring about what he's doing and Davey's, you know, part-time there. And it just seems like, yeah, here's some product. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Uh, Melinda, you want to jump in and, and refresh us on your take? You know, again, it, it's my least favorite monkeys album. It's side one was, I think it's a lot worse than side two. So hopefully there'll be more bright spots, but still overall they could have done better. And it was just really clear if it wasn't before that they were just, you know, going to hightail it out there as soon as possible, you know, as soon as they got the chance and that's what happened, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Jeff Garinger, you, uh, you concur with the, your other two colleagues here. Well, you know, I think it says it all in the title of the album, the monkeys present Davey, Mickey and Michael. There is no group here. There is no monkeys here. Mm. It's the three guys going into the studio basically to do whatever they want. And, you know, it's a hodgepodge of, of styles. And it's not a cohesive album. There are some fun songs. In fact, a, a real fun song is coming up soon. So hang with us. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. We do have some bright spots here on side two. Um, whether or not it's track seven, Ladies Aid Society. In every little town and village too, somewhere in the neighborhood, you'll find a little band of ladies who can't stop doing good. Good for the pigeons in the park, good for the weekly tea, good for the National Bank where they keep their treasury. Society, and we're really a great bunch of girls with a 
Track 7 Ladies Aid Society is going to be one of those bright spots. We'll, we'll find out here in a moment. This is the second Boyce and Heart track on this album. Uh, lead vocal by Davy Jones. We got backing vocals by a whole bunch of people. Mickey, Tommy Boyce, Bobby Hart, Wayne Irwin, and Ron Hicklin. Guitar by Wayne Irwin, Jerry McGee, and Louis Shelton. Uh, bass, Larry Taylor, drums, Billy Lewis, percussion, Emil Richards, piano, Bobby Hart. Trumpet, Steve Huffstetter, trombone, Gilbert Falco, Dick Hyde, horn, Bob Jung, and Don McGinnis. Produced by Boyce and Hart. So this is another one of those tracks that was recorded uh, for the More of the Monkeys session. And... Uh, I think this was, yeah, this was at RCA Victor Studios, August of 1966. And guys, uh, this this song kicks up my D.W. Washburn PTSD really badly. <laughs> this this song almost gives me an aneurysm every time I listen to it. I, <laughs> novelty track that I just don't think works very well. I do love this the attempt at social commentary. Uh, I, I like the whole, it kind of, the, the social commentary kind of reminds me a little bit of writing wrongs with the, the whole busy bodies thing. Right. Clamped down on the youth, uh, you know, quasi protest song. But, and I, 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 what is with that kind of Sergeant Pepper Beatle-esque sound clip ending that they've got on this thing? I don't know. This is, this song really trips me out. Uh, God, I don't even know where to start with this one. Melinda, why don't you kick us off with Ladies Aid Society? This is the worst song ever recorded with a monkey play. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Melinda. <laughs> it is undoubtedly the worst song that Boys and Heart ever wrote. It it makes Valerie sound like Let It Be or Imagine or Purple Rain or Bohemian Rhapsody. It's, it makes like, Valerie sound like Purple Rain. I love it. <laughs> Only on the Zilch podcast, people. I mean, the day we fall in love is an abomination of nature. We know that, but it's not really a song. <laughs> Ladies, Peace society is just horrible from beginning to end. And no wonder, you know, being nature got a timeout from producing duties after, you know, the brass heard it. It's like, no, go in the corner. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, God. Either one of you guys want to follow that up? Ghosty, Jeff, do you guys take your pick. I, I would just say that it's, it falls into that category, that strange 60s trope of putting down old ladies and their secret yeah. societies. And there just seems to have been this movement, you know, I mean, Jan and Dean cornered the market, I guess, on that yeah. with the Anaheim Azusa Sewing Circle Book Review and Timing Association or whatever. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing, you know. Uh, we're going to put down these... Um, these old ladies and they're so conservative or whatever. And I, I just think to myself, well, why are they the target? You know, I don't know. It, it just, everything about this song, it just seems like a very self-conscious attempt to be uh, funny and make a novelty record. Mm. And it's like, you know, an annoying uncle with jokes that don't work coming over oh, on Thanksgiving. It just, um, it, it's a sigh of relief when it's over. That's really all I can say about this Good Lord. track. Oh, Jeff Geringer, please save us. Well, the problem with this song for me, it's not, it's not horrendous, but mm. to me, if they could have taken oh, out all the falsetto stuff. Oh yeah. And, you know, just kind of made it a little Shanti Davy kind of, you know, straw hat and cane song. It's the God awful 
falsetto that just, oh my God. I was just I mean, about to say, we could pleasant. all do it better. Let's all harmonize it. <laughs> it's not even a pleasant sound they're making, so I, I don't know. Oh, man. Part of me wants to try to harmonize with you guys, but I think Skype wouldn't allow us to, to accurately line ourselves up. Maybe uh, maybe this is something we'll have to do someday if we all get in the same room together. We can re- record our own rendition of Ladies Aid Society. Would we really want to do that to our lovely audience? Oh, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. At, at this point, Zoom they may have completely turned better. on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they may have turned on us completely. They may have shut the podcast off at this point. I can see Ken will call us up going, uh, you guys, what did you guys do on uh, last night? Because, you know, the numbers are coming in and only two people listen. What what happened? <laughs> Word travels fast. Word travels fast. But I, well, I think, I think, I think the next track on this album is going to be a glowing review from all four of us. So let's, let's jump into Listen to the Band. Listen to the band, written by Nesmith, lead vocal by Mike Nesmith, electric guitar by Mike Nesmith, produced by Mike Nesmith, and we've got lots of people involved with this one, guitar by Wayne Moss and Mike Saluzzi, uh, steel guitar, Lloyd Green, bass, Norbert Putnam, drums, Jerry Carrigan, piano, David Briggs, keyboard, Michael Rubini, harmonica, Charlie McCoy, brass, Don McGinnis, trumpet, there's three of them. Uh, Buddy Childers, Ray Triscari, trombone, Dick Nash, tuba by John Kitzmiller. Mm. So, song recorded during the sessions for Head uh, in RCA Victor Studios in Nashville, June 1, and RCA Victor Studios, Hollywood, December 9th, 1968. In my opinion, clearly the best song on the record by a country mile. See what I did there? <laughs> love this track since the first time I heard it. And I love it still today. Uh, great lyrics, great arrangement. Love the organ break. I, I love that return. The horns are fantastic. I love the applause mixed in at the end. Uh, much better Beatle-esque nod than Ladies Aid Society's ending, my 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 opinion. Um, Jeff Garinger, your thoughts on Listen to the Band? Well, this is by far the best song of this album arguably could be one of the best songs the monkeys ever did even though it's all michael one thing that i've always wondered and this has kind of been debated by monkeys fans is if this was mike's kind of weird veiled way of nixing the powers that be at rca for not listening to the monkeys Mm. you know when he says hey hey mercy women plays a song and no one listens Mm. Uh, i don't know mike says that's not the case but you make Mm. kind of makes you wonder what his thoughts were going for that um 
This song is special to me uh, on a couple levels. A, it, it's a great song, and I loved it when I was eight, and I love it when I'm 50. Um, but the second part of the song is that it has an emotional tie-in for me. Back in 1986, when the Monkees had their revival, it was all built up for Michael to return to the band after 17 years. Mm-hmm. It was at the Greek Theater in September that Mike came on stage and did listen to the band. And, I mean, the place went bats. It just went screaming crazy. The Greek theater was rocking that night. And since then, I've always had this emotional attachment to listen to the band because it was the first time I saw the Monkees. We were we had an amazing year in 86, but it all came together when all four guys were on the stage together. So for a lot of reasons, I just love listening to the band. Yeah, I'm, I'm very envious because when I got to see them in the late 80s, it was just um, Mickey, Davey, and Peter. So I, I unfortunately missed out on that 86 uh, Greek theater show. Um, let's see, Melinda, listen to the band. How do you fall on it? Superb. Mm-hmm. Superb. Just absolute perfection. And yes, kids, it is possible to have your worst song on the same album as one of your best. <laughs> and, and this proves it because he made it the complete comeback from Never Tell a Woman Yes. But I, I love listening to the band. And this is, you know, another... Uh, instance of him kind of straddling that he offense and the baseline in it is just <laughs> awesome. I, I love that baseline. And yeah, I love the break and the horns. Um, I would have absolutely went crazy um, mm-hmm. if they would have put the 33 and a third version on the album. Um, that would have been so fantastic. Um, I'm not sure about the timing, but you know, it just reminds me of, you know, the live version of Circle Sky, you know, kind of mm-hmm. got pushed to the side versus the studio version with, you know, other musicians uh, for the head soundtrack. But, you know, they just put on such a fantastic performance. And really, I fast forward through most of it just to get to that anyway. But um, it's just an awesome track and you can play it anywhere. You can mm-hmm. play it anywhere and the crowd is going to go nuts. So whether you're at the Greek theater or the Pantages, you know, um, you're going to have everyone standing on their feet when this song comes on. Absolutely agree. Ghosty, final word? Well, it's easily the best track on this record. And uh, as Jeff and Melinda have said, it's probably one of, yeah, that's definitely one of the best songs the Monkees ever recorded. I, I do find it a little ironic that it's always used to symbolize the Monkees versus the machine, to coin the phrase. You know, it's like... Uh, no one really paid attention to us and we really had something to offer. And this song has sort of come to symbolize that. The reality is this song is almost the antithesis of that message in a way, because it's just Michael with his own guys. You know, uh, there really isn't much other monkey involvement on it, but it's, um, it's just a a wonderful, wonderful song. I, I think the, the little organ break where it, it's the uh, it's like there's some tape speed manipulation there and and the sound effects in my mind is maybe a little gimmicky um but you know that's a minor quibble on an album that has major quibbles so this is just uh yeah it's just a, it's a a great song i never i never turn it off and there jeff can i just add something here absolutely. too absolutely the coolest version of this song and i don't know if you've heard it uh, Mike did a, a concert that celebrated the anniversary of the Gretsch guitar. They had an all-star band, and for the finale, they did listen to the band. And you can get it on Mike's website, Video Ranch. 
It is just, it's anything but hee-haw. It just smokes from start to finish. Nice. Take, listen to the band and double tempo it. And that's how much energy they just, you, you can even just listen to 60 seconds of it on the website. It's just really cool. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. And hopefully maybe Ken can uh, get a link to that and put it in the show notes for this one for everybody to go and check that out. That sounds pretty cool. I'm going to go check that out uh, after we're done recording. But before we can be done with recording, we have to get through a few more songs on this album next up damn <laughs> can't oh. we just stop here can't we just stop here oh end on a positive note right oh yeah well, well looking yeah. at the rest of the tracks that might be hard to do oh I, wait, I think there's a positive song coming up oh well a couple tracks from now maybe um so let's see yeah. French is that my song? blood on the floor is that my blood in the bed is that my blood oh that's mommy and daddy wait <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. Uh, French Song is up next. A little girl goes out walking in the night. A little boy calls good evening from the light. They stop to talk for just a while. Then she's gone A little girl sits beside her window pane Thinking about an evening in the rain, a little talk, a little boy, then she's gone. A French song written by Bill Chadwick, lead vocal by Davy Jones. Uh, let's see. Acoustic guitar, Frank Bugby and Louis Shelton again. Bass, Max Bennett, drums, Hal Blaine, percussion, Emil Richards, shaker, Emil Richards, chimes by Emil Richards, vibes by Emil Richards, organ, Michael Rubini, and flute, Tim Weisberg, produced by Bill Chadwick and Mr. Davy Jones, recorded in Hollywood June 27th and August 14th, 1969. Ugh, not sure what to say about this one myself. Uh, feels kind of like a track that could have been used in a bad romance movie set in Paris. I don't know. Uh, and, and how often does Davy actually sing about other people's relationships besides his own, right? That's, yeah, I don't know. Very weird. Uh, does this do anything for you, Melinda? There's that sigh again. It's oh, another sigh. <laughs> Davy's vocals are are nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> his, his vocals are nice. But the guy with the shaker, I mean, he he mm. really got on my nerves with this, and and it's just such a loungy, you know, just annoying, you know, dated sound. It's it's so past its prime, even on the album when it currently was released. It's it's just old sounding it's it doesn't really do anything for me i don't hate it it's it's definitely not ladies a society but um i i just think that you know david could have done so much better you know when instant replay he shined so bright on that i was expecting him to just take off and 
you know, with Bones Howe and because he really brought what I think was the future of Davy's voice out um, on Insta Replay. And then we get, you know, French song. And even if I knew, which are just kind of, I, I think, steps backwards with him. You know, he, he really needed to shake things up and he just didn't do that at all on this album. And French song, that, I mean, a B-side at best, you know? Mm. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Ghosty, French song. Well, it, it's interesting to me that this song was inspired by uh, Bill Chadwick seeing the, the Marcello Mastriani and Ursula Andrews movie, The Tenth Victim, which is an awesome, awesome movie, um, which is sort of about reality television going to the extremes before reality TV existed. And it's inspired by the music in certain scenes in that film. Unfortunately, it also, French song in particular, reminds me of like some of the incidental music in Manos, The Hands of Fate. Yes! Oh my God, great tie right there. There's just something sort of otherworldly and not right about it for whatever mm. reason. It's sort of a... I mean, it's meant to be a kind of a romantic song, but it's a little spooky for some reason, at least for for me. And uh, it kind of is. You know, this is <laughs> it's Davy singing about uh, someone else's love before he kills them. You know, yeah. I know I I don't know what it is, but uh, there's something a little unsettling about it. It's mm. um, it's not if I knew. <laughs> no. You know, it's. It's not, thank God, Ladies' Aid Society. It's it's French song, and it just sits there like it does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. Geringer. <laughs> um, the song's okay for me, but you know what kind of perked my interest when I was going through the, the session players? Um, when I was a teenager, FM radio was huge, and one of the artists that they played a lot of uh, before he got you know overly popular was Dan Fogelberg and Tim Weisberg. And it was they had a, a very popular album out together, Sons of Different Mothers, I believe. Um, and so when all of a sudden I saw, oh, wait a minute, there's Tim Weisberg on flute. That's the same guy who had all the hits with Dan Fogelberg. So that kind of put a smile on my face, and then it went away when I got into the song. And <laughs> there we are. Oh man, see, my I had a smile on my face when I didn't talk about the record. Isn't that oh. funny? I was I was <laughs> smiling, thinking that this was going to be a positive review, and then you just punched me in the gut. No, and we're coming up with another song. Do we need to put papers on the floor before we do Mommy and Daddy? Oh, I mean, is, is it going to get bloody and ugly? And Oh, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. Is Melinda <laughs> going to throw me in? Okay. All right. Melinda's ready for it. Well, let's move ahead with Mommy and Daddy then. Tattoo, 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 tattoo
ask your mommy why everybody swallows all those little pills. Ask your daddy why doesn't that soldier care who he kills? After they put you to sleep and tucked you safely down in your bed, whisper mommy and daddy, would you rather that I learned it from my friends instead do you think i'm too young to know the sea to feel or hear my questions need an answer mommy and daddy uh, written by mickey dolan's lead vocal by mickey dolan's backing vocals by mickey and coco produced by mickey along with guitars by dom demary and mike saluzzi piano by mickey dolan's keyboard michael rubini brass don mcginnis trumpet by the guy i can't pronounce his name bud starts with a b uh, Buddy Childers and Ray Triscari, uh, trombone, Dick Nash, tuba, John Kitzmiller, and uh, let's see. So song was recorded oh, during the sessions for instant replay in Hollywood, December 9th, 1968. So I, I think the alternate vocals version of the song is a little more hard-hitting uh, than oh. the one that made it on the album. But I do like oh. what the song is going for. I like the whole question authority thing. Uh, I could do without some of that mickey weirdo to coin um ghosty's phrase uh gibberish break <laughs> and that weird outro other than that decent track uh, uh, cautionary tale uh, for parents i guess so melinda you seem to have a- an opinion on this one so why don't you kick us off mickey went straight gangster on this track <laughs> he, he went off and i loved it this is his second best song ever to me ever he kills it i mean it's not just the lyrics you know being utterly brutal but this is the only time he gets a pass with that kindergarten teacher storyteller voice you know <laughs> time i can i can stomach it but the imagery yeah you know blood on the floor you know dfk and all that but his vocals at the end he's singing his heart out i mean it it's like my mickey is back and you know the unreleased version it's just my jaw hit the floor when I heard it for the first time. Remember, I'm late to the Monkey's Music game. I heard it for the first time in the 2000s, and I was a previous fan of gangster rap. So <laughs> he, you know, <laughs> he knocked me off of my feet with those lyrics. And I'm like, that guy has some huge, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to really put this out there in 1969. It's like, you know, no holds barred and, yeah, straight gangster Mickey. <laughs> 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 Mr. Geringer, your thoughts? Do you have paper on the floor for Mommy and Daddy? You know, I, I don't want to say anything. We've we've done the whole album, and Melinda and I have been in agreement, and it's been great. <laughs> Uh-oh. I love her, and she's been great, and I, I don't want to ruin it, but... I love you too, Jeff. <laughs> this is one of those songs that, you know, as a first-generation fan, i got to look at it two ways. When I was nine, when this song came out, it scared the hell out of me. Um, you know, talking about LSD and, and killing the Indians and... And that was way before the unreleased version. Um, so it was never a fan of mine as I was a kid. When I got older and then heard the unreleased version, oh my God, would you care more if that's my blood on the floor? I mean, uh, sorry. I like my monkey's music a little happier. Mm. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. Um, Ghosty, uh, your thoughts, your final thoughts on Mommy and Daddy? Well, lyrically, I mean, as a 60s message song and obviously one of the last ones, because we're ending the 60s here. Um, 
I'll agree with Melinda. It's brutal. There's something about the delivery that just puts me. I mean, the song itself is is kind of slight. I'm really not crazy about the one time we can buy why why you know it's like oh my god please shut the hell up with that I mean <laughs> it drives me crazy let's hold it but, together yeah but uh, um, it's it's something about the delivery it's 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 almost like. You know, that tell mommy and daddy. It's like Nellie Olson singing it or something. You know, it just, there's just something about it that's off putting. It's like, you know, you could get this across without being a jerk, you know? I don't know. There's, I mean, there's just something smug about it. It's like, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's like an, an arrogance there. And it's, mm. you want to say to Mickey, you know, you can get the point across. You can be brutal, but you don't have to, uh, you know, come off like we don't know what you're talking about here. Who thought there'd be a Nellie Olson reference? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, Ghosty. Oh. Well, there it is. Well, anything can happen here on the Zilch Roundtable. <laughs> so, uh, well, speaking of anything can happen, uh, we're going to move on to the next track. On this wait, wait, wait. What? So there's no other love for Gangsta Mickey? Come on. No. I... Mm. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the lyrics. Just, just come up with a different song or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it's know. like you know, you know that's that song. Like, like a lot of, I don't want to say Mickey stuff because that's unfair. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like Shorty Blackwell. This, it's almost the musical equivalent of somebody going, "Am I bothering you? Am I bothering you? Does this bother you? Am I bothering you? Does this bother you?" No, it, it annoys the hell out of me on every other track on this album except this one because the rest, the rest of it, his delivery, like you said, it's killer. I mean, come on. Wait a minute, Ghosty, are you are you saying that Mickey Dolenz may be the Andy Kaufman of pop music? Oh, what a perfect analogy! Hmm. Absolute. I, I think. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know, with Shorty Blackwell, it's like, okay, here's an endurance test. Let's see just how long this can go. And with this one, it's like, come on, me and that. And she's like, what is with this guy? Will you just stop? I mean, you sang sometime in the morning so beautifully. And then what happened to you? You, you, you just became like, uh, this is like out of the twilight zone uh, to serve man or something. I, I have to get out of here. But it fits on this one because he's putting himself, you know, in that child role versus the rest of the tracks. Which right, right. Voice, I have no idea. But mm. in this on this song, it actually fits. He's, you know, he's speaking as a child. Yeah, I know. And it's got like, you know, it could be like Mother's Little Helper by the Stones or, you know, one of those sort of songs like, do you know what your parents are really up to? Or, you know, this is what society won't tell you. Mm. And uh, something about that delivery, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's other ways to say it rather than, you know, sort of dancing on graves. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's 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 push onward. Let's push onward to uh, the second to last track on the album, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer. She's always appearing with a band of renown. You want to go and see her when you're feeling down. She's a breathtaking spectacle. Cause she's the best thing since so She'll greet you in the alley with a fortified smile She's the original sideshow and she's got her own style 
Oklahoma Backroom Dancer, written by Michael Martin Murphy, a lead vocal by Michael Nesmith, produced by Michael Nesmith, guitar, Mike Deasy and Louis Shelton, acoustic guitar, not sure, uh, bass by Max Bennett, drums, Eddie Ho, Shaker, a piano by Michael Rubini, um, recorded in Hollywood, May 27th of 1969. So guys, I, uh, I have no words for this song. I, I can't, I can't do it. So, uh, you guys are going to have to talk this one out without me. I, I can't even begin to approach this with any sort of coherence. So Jeff Garinger, you're getting the first word on Oklahoma backroom dancer. Not a problem. It's the same thing as with Tim Weisberg. Um, <laughs> I, I go to the sidemen, I go to the writer, um, Michael Martin Murphy, who was the only man that I know of that had a hit song about a love letter to a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Wildfire. If you're familiar with him, he also did what am I doing hanging around for the monkeys? Mm-hmm. Um, at least there's a melody with Oklahoma backroom dancer, as opposed to some of the ones that Nez, um, wrote on his own. The title of the song is in the song. That's a good thing. That's a plus. There you go. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's if there's ever I think there was a definition of a hee haw song that Melinda talks about. It's this puppy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Without a doubt, Ghosty. Anything to say about Oklahoma Backroom Dancer? Well, I would slightly disagree. I I think it's less hee haw than uh, some of the other cuts. You know, when I first heard it, I uh, and actually re-listening to it again, I said, oh, he's he's attempting to sort of rock a little bit, you know, with this, as opposed to, you know, yep, I see la do la pata, you know, like uh, never <laughs> good, clean fun at the end, you know, and he's, and, and I'm thinking, boy, in the hands, because there's like a nice riff there in the hands of like a deep purple or something, maybe they could turn this into something, but it just seems, uh, half hearted, mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't seem like there's much, uh, joie de vivre in the mm. recording it just sort of lays there mm. so melinda is this is this too hee-haw for you or it's actually not i like <gasps> it Whoa. <laughs> oh i don't like it let me stop <laughs> i was gonna say you could have put bets on the table that you wouldn't have given that answer <laughs> no no i'm totally backtracking on that so it's it's far 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 mm far, far inferior to what am I doing hanging around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does have a charm to it. A beat tempo and I'm sorry, Ness's vocals on the chorus, they completely sell the song for me. He, you know, he nails the chorus and it's, it's memorable. I found myself actually humming it the other day. So, oh. you know, I, I like it. It's, oh, I wow. guess I do. I said it twice. And maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Wow, I almost did a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> There we <laughs> You had me going for a second. I know the title, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer. Who would have thunk it? But um, on a monkey's album. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Maybe because Eddie holds on it, and I absolutely adore you know the work. That did. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Um, yeah, I still, I still can't. I, I got no words for this one. I'm gonna have to take a pass. So uh, we'll pass right along to the final track on the monkeys present. And there's some rapturous applause there um, for, for the finale here of Pillow Time. There's a wonderland for Alice. There's a tall bean stock for Jack. The sleepy train will take you there. So safely down the track. 
with the sandman at the throttle. You'll be off to dreams and back. It's spiller time again. You will meet all your storybook friends as you go down Mother Goose Lane. Romp with Jack and Jill up and down the hill and try to put Humpty together again. Close your sleepy eyes and listen while we take a little hop. Written by Janelle Scott and Matt Willis, lead vocal, Mickey Dolan's electric guitar, uh, Louis Shelton, acoustic guitar by Mickey, uh, bass by Ray Pullman Drums, Earl Palmer, produced by Mr. Mickey Dolan's uh, little fun fact. This was demoed back during the headquarters days, but re-recorded for this album in August of 1969. Oh. So you know it's it's a it's a kind of cool it's a little little Mickey lullaby track it's definitely no good night that's for sure but <laughs> it's it's a cute nursery the nursery rhyme references I, I I like the arrangement uh the the rhythm and lead guitar parts are fun um backing track I would love a backing track for this I don't I don't know if that was I don't mm, I, I should have looked at the track list for the handmade box to see if they just put out the backing track for this one but I don't recall it being on there I might be wrong um. Makes for a nice end of the album to calm me down after uh, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer. Uh, Ghosty, your thoughts on Pillow Time? The second best track on this album. Nice. I love this cut. It does exactly what the title tells you. It's an <laughs> sort of an old-timey nursery rhyme, and it's sung in like a sleepy way, and it's a very pleasant melody. And in a way, when I listen to it, there are certain moments that feel as if Mickey is doing a Harry Nilsson type of vocal mm. on this. And it's almost like a Nilsson cut because, you know, Harry dwelled in that world of old timey music and, you know, forties melodies and pillow time could be an ink spot song, you know, and, one of the best, maybe the best version. I don't think this is really the best version. I think the the version that Mickey did on his Mickey Dolan's "Puts You to Sleep" children's record. <laughs> I I think that actually was the uh, the best version of Pillow Time. I I, I, I agree. Love this I agree, Ghosty. You're yeah. you're correct. It is much better. I think on that one. Um, you know, I thought this was was really kind of sweet. Um, for a couple ways. One, he gave his mother co songwriting credits. Oh. And imagine what kind of nice little tip that was. Nice. And, you know, anyone who had a parent or was a parent and had, you know, little kids around that time, I, you know, my kids got sung the monkey's catalog every night to get to sleep. And one of them was always pillow time. So it, it has an emotional connection with me. And, and I agree with Ghosty. It's a sweet, tender way to, to end what is a unsweet album. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, final word, Melinda. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good Lord. No. Absolutely not. It's back to that annoying ass, you know, storyteller voice that makes me want to burn things. It's like, no. <laughs> no. I guess no. we're the sentimental ones, Ghosty. I guess so. <laughs> I'd rather have Mickey croon me with with it's pillow time than mommy and daddy. Oh my god. Oh lord. <laughs> no. Oh man. No, it, it's so beneath him. I'm sorry. No, no. No. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Well, Zilch Nation, I I'm going to reiterate something uh that that was stated I think on the on the first half of this monkey's present. I think it bears repeating. Uh, you know, we, we are just stating opinions. Uh, we're not telling you guys out there, the people who love these songs, that, that you're wrong and we're right. You know, it, opinions are opinions, so we don't mean to disparage anybody's opinions of these songs. And, and we'd love to hear your defense of them because maybe you'll change our minds. Um, you know, I know we've had a lot of criticisms on this album. So um, and, and we this is a celebration of the monkeys. The Zilch is a celebration of the monkeys. And we, we do love the band. We love the guys. And um, so... I'll go around the horn real quick here and get final thoughts on the monkeys present as we are uh, closing up the show. Jeff Garinger, your final thoughts on the monkeys present. Thank God for listening to the band. (laughs) (laughs) It makes this whole album worthwhile. It doesn't matter what the hell else is on it. We get listen to the band, which is an anthem for monkeys fans for 50 years. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Melinda, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, a lot of criticism. I think it mostly stems from just disappointment because mm. instant play left me on such a high. And um, and then we get this <laughs> and yeah. with some of the worst songs that they ever recorded. But uh, yeah, I agree with Jeff. The, the bright spot, the ultimate takeaway is listen to the band and mommy and daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ghosty, your final thoughts on the monkeys present. Well, a missed opportunity because... Mm. There are other cuts, as we later learned, laying around in the vaults that could have made this a stronger record. And, you know, if you're going to have a song like Mommy and Daddy on this, you might as well go all out and put the original lyric on there because, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess the fear is, well, kids are going to buy it. But honestly, what kids in 1969 are going to pick up this record? I mean, yeah. this is really selling to just hardcores at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have swapped out ladies aid society and put uh davy reciting the good earth <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> it, it, no, that I that would be preferable you don't mean you know? that goes to you don't mean that do you i do i do <laughs> i would prefer that to uh ladies aid society um but again i mean you know nine times blue they had done it on yep. a tv show it was still floating mm-hmm. around yep. you know it could have you know throw it on here because good linda at least we'd have two good songs no i'm kidding but then we'd you know it would up the quotient of uh of good material but here you know like i said good clean fun little girl um listen to the band and pillow time are really it for me on this yeah well, I, you know, I, Zilch Nation, uh, we, prior to starting recording these episodes, we were talking about what we were going to be doing in the future with these roundtables, and we are definitely going to be covering the all of the unreleased materials, so I'm curious to see how many of those uh, unreleased songs we go through on the Missing Links LPs, as well as uh, some of the handmade boxes and bonus discs and things like that. 
that we highlight as songs that we wish had come out on some of these albums. I think it's going to be an interesting exercise moving forward. But before we get there, we are definitely going to be covering changes as well as Pool It and Just Us. Um, and that we're, we're, we're promising you guys out there that we're going to be doing these a little more often uh, than we have been. It's been a it's been a busy summer and fall for us here, so we're going to be getting together a little more often to cover some of these, the rest of these albums and some of the unreleased stuff. So as we're uh, trailing off into the sunset here on The Monkeys Present, let's go around the table and tell people where they can find us if they want to chat monkeys. So Melinda, where can people find you if they want to talk about The Monkeys Present or any other monkeys topic? You all can find me on Facebook if you agree with me that Mommy and Daddy was a good song. If not, look elsewhere. <laughs> if, if, if not, you can still find me on Facebook. But. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Ghosty, where can people find you? Uh, I can also be found on Facebook. It's David Ghosty Wills and Allison Arngrim, who played the part of Nellie Olson, is also on Facebook. And you can go and uh, like her page as, as well. Awesome. And Mr. Geringer, where can people find you if they want to chat monkeys? Well, gee, I have no one famous to, to link to. I'm, I feel out of it, Ghosty. <laughs> But they can. I'm on Facebook. You can always find me there. Be nice. Well, you, you can link to Melinda. There That's you go. true. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, I'm on Facebook, but I, I don't really check it too often. So if you want to talk to me, Jeff Hewlett, you can find me on Twitter at Warp Factor Jeff. And uh, feel free to, to send me a note there and, and chat monkeys if you want to, want to talk. So we will be back with you again with another roundtable episode here in the near future. Keep your eyes and ears on the zilch podcast for our coverage of changes uh, which hopefully we'll be doing in a very short short period of time so thanks as always for listening to the podcast and thanks to the awesome panel uh, ghosty jeff and melinda thank you guys all for being here it's always an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you thanks guys take it easy all right and we'll see you next time on the zilch roundtable A Hubble Benson production. Hi, this is Rosemarie, and you are listening to Zilch. That's me. Hi, fellow Zilch fans. This is Dr. Roseanne Welch, author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture, a book about the enduring significance of the monkeys as a groundbreaking television program, one that introduced audiences to new ideas of political ideology and new concepts of class and feminist theory a program that challenged the rules of a new medium and paved the way for future innovation. Why the Monkeys Matter highlights the artistic achievements of the show's writers, actors, directors, and other artists, and celebrates all that the monkeys mean to television, to American popular culture, and to us, the fans. Why the Monkeys Matter is available in print and for Kindle, Apple iBooks, and Nook from your favorite bookseller. Find out more at roseannewelch.com. R-O-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-C-H dot com. This is Michael Lynch. I am the one that makes those crazy bumpers you hear in the beginning of the show. And you're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Hello, this is Peter Mills. I'm the author of the book, The Monkeys, Head and the Sixties which is the first in-depth study of their 1968 movie. It looks at the history of the band right from their beginnings in 1965, right through their success, the movie, the 70s comebacks. 
The book also looks at the 33 and a third TV special, the Monkey's MTV revival, a lizard sunning itself on a rock, all the way through to 2016's Good Times. The book is available from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and no doubt other online stores, and is also available as a Kindle download. Check out The Monkey's Head and the 60s. Thank you to the Zilch Roundtable gang for that fantastic discussion. And now here is Tommy B with his thoughts on side two of The Monkeys Present. Hello, Zilt Nation. It's me, Tommy B, again. Thank heavens you've come! <laughs> Well, thanks, Mickey. I really appreciate it. I've been asked to come back and review side two of The Monkees Present, Mickey, David, and Michael. Well, the end of side one was pretty promising. Looking for the good times? Boys and heart. Very good, up-tempo, rockin', kickin' butt. Makes you want to flip over that vinyl record and start side two. So, what does side two begin with? It begins with Ladies Aid Society. That's right, what of it? I'll tell you what of it. I'll tell you what of it, Davey. It's pretty terrible. Hey, kid, want to see me throw up? Yeah! <laughs> yeah, Mickey, we just might. Well, again, it's really not the song that's so bad, the lyrics. It's the more production and quality of it, the way they arrange it, that I have a problem with. The message, actually, is really valid social commentary. You have lines about the older generation, the moms, the... Almost like the Karens of the day, right? These ladies. There's a quote that says, they're good, they do what's good for the National Bank where they keep their treasury, right? So there's a little critique about their money is what matters to them. It also has lines like, down with long-haired singing groups. And then the really pointed final verse. And we just want to sell you the truth where the Ladies Aid Society, it's time we clamp down on the youth. Yikes. So again, I feel like the the... A uh, message is really strong. It's really important, actually. It's great for that time period. It's just the way they made it into like a novelty, silly song, and it just didn't need to be. The Monkees have other social commentary songs that are way better, way edgier, and they don't have this comedy tone, and they just don't need to. Whether it's Mommy and Daddy coming up or the really serious rock commentary style of Pleasant Valley Sunday. Again, social commentary. But alas, this is what they do. Ladies Aid Society kind of silly and annoying instead of something that could have really said something impressive actually would have really taken listeners aback a bit so of all the songs they had sitting in the can that they could go back to they went back to this you gotta be kidding i wish i was mickey but that is how side two opens which is the worst song on the entire album okay so if after that first song you somehow push on through to hear the second one you got something completely different Thankfully, listen to the band. It is an anthem, and it's the best song on side two and the entire album. Just hearing Mike's Texan drawl singing the words, Mercy Woman Alone, is worth it. That's right, baby. And fish can swim. Mike wrote the lyrics for this song quickly while in the studio so he'd have something just to sing as the band played. He went down to Nashville with the intent to essentially invent country rock. Unlike his other songs in this album that are decidedly country, this one does rock. Nez says the song's not about the monkeys. However, the fact that he wrote them quickly while in the studio session might mean that a lot of honesty just 
seeped in unfiltered and unbeknownst to him. For example, why is it that the band plays a song and no one listens? It's kind of an interesting and unusual thing to have. Unless it connects to something else in the song, but nothing else relates to that. So maybe it connects to something real. So I hypothesize that uh, this song is about his frustrations with his work or in the monkeys not really being fairly heard. Interestingly, the pronouns switch from tell me I can live without her later to uh, tell us we can live without her now that we have listened to the band. So on the surface, it's a reminder of the comfort and uplifting power that listening to music can bring. But again, it could also be more subconsciousness seeping through. Peter had already quit a year and two albums ago. And here, Mike is recording this with another band somewhere out in Nashville, not with the Monkees or down in their L.A. studios. And he's saying the words, I think I can make it alone. And after this album is released, ladies and gentlemen, that's just what Mike does. He leaves the Monkees. Yes, Frenez and every single one of us, the Monkees were quote-unquote good. They made me happy. And maybe in a way he was needing to be reassured that he can live without her. Her being his Monkey life. That band. Okay, maybe ridiculous, but I still think possible. That might be what he was thinking this whole time. Well, it's 50 years later, and we are still listening to the You and the Band, Nez, and this song is still great. By the way, pretty much the main reason to ever watch the TV special 33 and a Thirds Revolutions per Monkey is towards the end, when the four monkeys play this song together live. So if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube, just do it. They jam out so well, you actually kind of get mad when the rest of the players in the show join in. And now, track three. A British monkey doing a French song? The dance in France is mainly in the stance. Well, Davy is the youngest member, but interestingly, when it comes to the stylistic choices he makes, he does the most mature songs. He seems really above his own years, ahead of his years. Davy, are you an artist? The fish swim? That's right. Fish Swim and Davy is an artist here. This song has an intentional European film soundtrack kind of uh, feel. And though the lyrics are pretty simplistic, two very simplistic verses, it is a lovely mood piece. But again, one could imagine an artist 10 or heck, even 30 years older than Davy singing this. French song doesn't sound like a ballad that an artist in his 20s would be singing. Frankly, this is something that would fit perfectly alongside any of Tony, Tony Bennett's albums or even Johnny Mathis. And it kind of would be cool to hear Johnny Mathis sing it. He's no Davy Jones. And he's no Davy Jones either. He's no Davy Jones. All right, he's no Davy Jones. All right, track four of Psy 2 is the most rockin' song on the album. Mickey's Mommy and Daddy. My mommy won't let me play with toys at, at burn or bash or scratch or, or go boom. <laughs> Go boom is right, because there's a lot going boom in the world, and Mickey, you talk about it in this song. I just feel like the first reaction any Monkey fan has when hearing the song, especially if you were younger when you heard it, is just the word, wow. I mean, it blows you away. It's so unexpected. It's nothing like any other song in their entire catalog. How's that? Well, this song and a few other things really, for me, solidified Mickey not only as like the edgiest Monkey with what he says but a bit of a hero for me. As a kid, I always especially dug his comedy on the show and his rock sound or voice. But as I got older, I also really appreciated his inventiveness with experimenting with like the Moog synthesizer 
and even his outfits. I mean, the man wore a rug and made it work. He's also the one who spotted Hendrix early on and was hip to what he was doing. He just lives the psychogel life, and I kind of love it. Mickey also spoke up uh, for the young generation on his TV show, The Monkees, obviously, during one of the interviews about the demonstrations young people were having in L.A., and he was rightfully critiquing the way the older and more conservative press of the time devalued those protests by labeling them only as riots. Remember the theme song, though. It declares, quote-unquote, we're the young generation and we've got something to say, and Mickey is able to cash that check and make good on it more than once. With Mommy and Daddy, Mickey has a lot to say. The song is about the false righteousness of all the mommies and daddies and powers that be at the time. As a young person, Mickey was already witnessing the Vietnam War and its draft, JFK's assassination, and a year before this song, he saw MLK Jr. and Bobby Kennedy killed as well. Some of these made the lyrics, uh, made it to his lyrics, especially in the original version of this song, which was so explicit and controversial, he was told to change it to the one we have here, which is still no wholesome little ditty either. Now, as of January of 1969, a few months before this, Mickey himself became a daddy. Shout out to daughter Amy Dolans. So what or how we raise our kids and what we tell them is clearly on Mickey's mind. With mommy and daddy, Mickey is calling out those that hide the truth from the younger generation and are just liars and kind of doing monstrous things themselves. He encourages people to admit the truth about the crimes against the American Indian, which in the 60s was still barely being taught. And he also sings lines like, why doesn't that soldier care who he kills? Again, this is on a monkey's song. This is incredible. Well, we'll come back to that line in a second. In this rewrite, Mickey sings, Love Will Set You Free During the Fade Out, which is very interesting, actually, because the old biblical saying is, The truth shall set you free. And this song is entirely about facing the truth that the moms and dads of the world hide. He then starts singing in the fade out, Kings of VMI. Remember that? The same Beatles reference from Randy Scout's Git, which is his other great song. Uh, And that song, too, also has political commentary I think a lot of people tend to overlook. Lines like, why don't you cut your hair and kill who I killed to be free? That links us to, why doesn't that soldier care who he kills? These are about the same thing, right? Vietnam War. So, interestingly, the original unreleased version of this song that's not on this original album, uh, when it has its fade out, Mickey sings different lines. He sings, they're living a lie, not the words kings of EMI. But these do rhyme, Kings of EMI, Living a Lie, and they rhyme with each other, so it also is a link to the other song, to Randy Scoutskin. It's the only other time he sings those words. And these two songs are both with criticisms about what's happening in the world, so Mommy and Daddy is an excellent companion piece. That's how I see it. It's a companion piece to Randy Scoutskin, and it's the second best song on side two. All right, track five of side two is the last song with Nez on it. It's written by Michael Martin Murphy. It's Oklahoma backroom dancer, the same man who wrote What Am I Doing? Hanging Round. But unfortunately, this leaves me wondering, what am I doing listening to this song? It's just not even close to as good as Hanging Round was. It's also strictly country, and it even sounds like you'd expect it to sound from its title. You could imagine this being played in a saloon out in the Wild West. It's just unfortunate for me because there simply were a lot of cooler songs that Nez already recorded that could have replaced this. Um, 
of you, which later made it on to Missing Links or St. Matthew, right? These are both Nez produced songs just sitting in the can that never really get released. Not to mention Nine Times Blues, some of Shelley's Blues, on and on. Some say Nez was purposely holding back his better songs for when he'd go solo a few months later, but I just don't think that's happening here, and here's why. His other three tracks on this album rank almost among his best, like of all time. Um, but those story-type songs like Never Tell a Woman Yes, which is not as good as his other two on this album, are still a very big favorite of Nez. He enjoys that, and he continued to do those kinds of songs into his solo career. So I think that here, Nez absolutely did like the work he was submitting for The Monkees Present. Also, even on his first post-Monkees album, Magnetic South, he redoes listen to the band there, so you know he liked it. And uh, the song Joanne, which is on Magnetic South as a big hit, just wasn't written yet, so it's not like he was holding back on that. He doesn't even record St. Matthew or Nine Times Blue or Propinquity for that first album, Magnetic South, when he goes solo either. So I don't think he was holding out. I wish he did hold out on this particular track, um, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer, though. It just makes a better Missing Links track than an original released album track. If you can't already tell, yes, this is my least favorite one on the album. And now, the final song on the entire album, Pillow Time. This closes it out the same way the Beatles' White Album was closed out with the song Good Night, also a lullaby. If you remember, Mickey closed the previous album, Instant Replay, with Shorty Blackwell saying he wanted to do a kind of day-in-the-life ending as well. So taking his cues from his favorite band, the Beatles, he was able to lay down this lovely song, co-written by his mom. My one wish is if this could have been a little more trippy or psychedelic. Fairy Tales and Alice in Wonderland are already pretty trippy. Just ask Jefferson Airplane, who recorded Go Ask Alice. The idea of going into dreamland is also a kind of trip, so this would have been a cool opportunity to add some subtle Moog synthesizer or other effects to not just lyrically take us on that journey, but sonically too. Anyway, it's a sweet song. It's very nice. I think playing with more effects or having that kind of a audio sonic experience to it would have made it stand out more but being a song that his mom sang to him i'm sure and now he's probably singing to his newborn amy i get the reason for the wholesome approach and um this song for me ranks right in the middle of side two it's better than ladies aid society better than backroom dancer but really can't compete with the the other standout tracks also by mickey and by nez and even davy as well I will say that now that uh, the album, Side 1, opened with Little Girl, A Softer Side of Mickey, and now closes with The Softer Side of Mickey, Pillow Time, um, we have come full circle. It also kind of points out Mickey might have the most range and diversity of all the songs he creates for the monkeys than any other guys. Um, here he, he starts out with this vulnerable song, Little Girl, and he moves to something with hard attitude like bye bye baby bye bye rocking it away and then this biting edgy commentary of mommy and daddy and finally the soft lullaby of a parent singing to a child mickey i know that 7a is about to have you we do eventually release that your demoiselle album from the 90s we love your songwriting you're doing great <laughs> please consider adding a little bonus track something new you've been working on it could be the most simple quiet little thing of you in a studio just like a demo maybe even get coco add a little vocals it doesn't have to be fancy you have talent we love it i hope you hear from us as much as possible telling you that so please think it over <laughs> 
little something you got from the last few years, if not 10 years, put it on that album. Release it as a bonus track. We love what you're writing. I'm blown away by your writing here. You are a badass. Keep it going. That's it for me. Back to you, Ken, and the gang. This has been an honor. Have a great day, Zilchers. Thank you, Tommy B. Fantastic as always. You know, I myself have this idea of The Monkees Present could be a much better album. And I think one of my big complaints is that a little rearrangement and a song substitution or two, and we have a winner. One of my major complaints is how Someday Man did not make this album. And I believe if we shuffle the album sequence around and add Someday Man to the album, it changes it. Imagine this album with Someday Man in the place of Ladies' Aid Society, or Nez's Hollywood, or St. Matthew's. Just imagine this for the lineup of The Monkees Present. We kick it off side one with St. Matthew. Then track two, Bye Bye Baby Bye Bye. Track three, Someday Man. Track four, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer. Track five, Mommy and Daddy. Track six, If I Knew. Then we flip it over and to kick it off into high gear in the number one spot, Looking for the Good Times. Followed up by Good Clean Fun. Then Little Girl. Then French Song. Which, by the way, French song, it really reminds me a lot of The Smithereens in a Lonely Place. I would have loved to heard The Smithereens do the French song. So, anyway, just a side note. But then the fifth track after French song in my reimagined The Monkees Present would be Pillow Time. And we close the album off with Listen to the Band. What do you think? And as far as B-sides, you could have put Never Tell a Woman Yes and Ladies Aid Society on the B-sides. Just a thought, just a thought. Let us know your thought. Now, we pulled you, and if you've ever been pulled, you know how painful that can be. Anyway, uh, but here are your reactions. We asked you to pick one song and vote. Tell us why, and we may read your name and comment on the next episode. Well, here we are. Out of all the songs on the Monkees Present side two, coming in at last place is Ladies Aid Society with only five votes. David A. Scott writes, I've started to respect Ladies Aid Society from a narrative standpoint. The the stick-in-the-mud older generation determined to end everyone else's fun, as they're about to be completely toppled over by the sheer power of Listen to the Band. A story in two acts, if you will. Each part ending with its own brand of shouts and cheers, the latter being more triumphant. Hmm. Crystal Doyle writes, Ladies Aid Society, sexist and ageist by current standards, But it is a great little novelty tune. Take it in context. Change the lyrics to Neighborhood Homeowners Association and a few edits. It could still work today. (laughs) Some of us have to put up with Neighborhood Homeowner Association. So I can see where that would fit. In fifth place, it's Pillow Time with 10 votes. Tyler Baum writes, Pillow Time. I can't explain why this was my choice. Because I'm so sleepy. Lisa Novak writes, I love Pillow Time because Mickey's vocals are hauntingly beautiful and send wish he were standing next to me chills up and down my spine. Well, there you go, Lisa. Robert Freeman writes, Pillow Time is such a gentle and beautiful song. It should become a standard. Amazing that Mickey's mom wrote it. Probably my fave track that they did after Daydream Believer. Wow. In the fourth slot, it's Oklahoma Backroom Dancer, which to me always sounded like something from Schoolhouse Rock, but anyway. 
With 15 votes, William Milbright writes, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer. It's a forgotten gem that one can still easily swing to. Plus, even though he was no longer in the group at this time, I can visualize Peter playing the piano and having a great time doing so in the video of my mind. That would have been cool. Audrey Linter writes, Oklahoma Backroom Dancer, because it makes me happy. I had a shirt printed with some of the lyrics, but alas, I can't wear it in public. Because I failed to take into consideration the fact that more fun than Colorado and more far out than Maine, while true, is still not something that should be emblazoned directly across someone's chest. Oops. In spot number three, it is the French song with 26 votes. Ed Rising writes, the French song is more than just a pretty ballad by David. It is a story and well-dramatized. I also like that it is understated in its production. Michael Manzini writes the French song, Love the eeriness and the vibraphones. There's nothing like it in the catalog, and it's nice to hear Davy not singing about his own romance for a change. Mary Claire Weiss writes the French song, because it almost cinematically captures a moment of human connection, conveying a haunting, ephemeral beauty and mystery, and Davy's quivering vocal is perfect. A close second is Nez's anthem, Listen to the Band declaring and celebrating the stirring power of music, the kind played by a band, to triumph over and help heal the pain of love and loss. Quintessential Nez, who can forget that bridge towards the end, which builds and then explodes with Listen to the Band. We do. Andy Shaw writes, The French Song is one of Davy's best songs. Robert Thomason writes, The French Song, the second of the two Davy Jones mature songs. This one was featured in a movie entitled Lollipops and Roses. Very odd seeing a 20-something Davy Jones singing a mature love song to a girl at her sweet 16 birthday party. Well, it's not really far off from the Brady Bunch, right? Joseph Gianni writes the French song. It worked really well when David performed it in the Asian film Lollipops and Roses, released in 1971. Jamie Ewing writes, I have to give the French song some love. Davy often gets knocked for his song choices or productions. This was very mature and well-executed number, with a perfect vocal and miles of atmosphere provided by the Wrecking Crew. If Davy generally brought the bubblegum, this time he offered a rich and fancy dessert. Fred Velez writes, I love the French song. It evokes the imagery of a foreign film, which is exactly what songwriter Bill Chadwick was aiming for. Marsha Martin picks the French song. It's beautiful and paints a picture in your mind. It evokes romance and other emotions. And isn't that what a good song is supposed to do? Up next, in the number two spot of your favorite songs on The Monkees Present, it is in the number two spot Mommy and Daddy with over 49 votes. Trevor Duncanson writes, Mommy and Daddy, the build-up to the ending of the song just edges it past Listen to the Band for me. And the alternate version is my favorite Monkey song, period. It showed a darker side to Mickey's songwriting that could really spread a message today. Dwayne Gobbin writes, I chose Mommy and Daddy. It is one of those songs that should have been a number one hit. To me, it is Randy Scouse Get Part 2, but more advanced than the former. If the original version of this song had been released, it may have actually propelled them to a level of stardom that they have not originally reached. The original lyrics were the questions of the day's generation, and to be prevented from, it was just a hard blow. The lyrics were eventually released, still are hard-hitting, just not as deep a punch now. 
This is one of the greatest monkey songs ever released. Jeff Griffin writes, This tune, especially the non-PC version, is a wonderfully scathing commentary that elevates it above all else, in my honest opinion. Lisa Mason Sadlack writes, Mommy and Daddy is so not monkeys. Listening to the unedited version seems to predict the Manson murders and other serial killers that came later. Nick Skepetis writes, Mommy and Daddy. It reminds me of another song called Going Down. Steven Zanine writes, Listen to the band is probably the obvious choice, but I'm going with Mickey's Mommy and Daddy. I feel it's a song not enough people know about and displays the uniqueness of a Dolan's pen track. The original, edgier version is even better. Actually, though, it wouldn't see the light of day until decades later. Nathan Cooper writes, Mommy and Daddy followed closely by the French song. I hate to say it, but I've always thought Listen to the Band was way overrated. I love Nez and most of his work, but this song falls into the same category for me as other songs like Daydream Believer and I'm a Believer. Overplayed and overhyped. I think there's more fuss made over these types of songs than is warranted. Almost always skip these kinds of tracks because of overload. And closing up some love for Mommy and Daddy is Elliot Marks who writes, I picked Mommy and Daddy. Of course, Listen to the Band is the best song. In fact, it is my favorite monkey song, and its message and arrangement reliably brings me to tears. It hits so hard, but Mommy and Daddy has a real edge. One that reminds me of what Jagger, Richards, and perhaps more to the point, Frank Zappa were writing at the same moment. Calling out the hypocrisy of the purported generation gap, while also bluntly pulling into focus the extreme violence that has always been present in American society. I think Dolan's is calling hippie utopia a sham while simultaneously calling the pearl-clutching elders looking down upon the hippies' self-righteous frauds. Head is customarily seen as the monkeys trying to break away from their squeaky clean image. It succeeds, but some seem self-indulgent. Mommy and Daddy manages to be one of the most pointedly angry songs of its era. Daydream Believer, it is not. Thank you, Elliot. Up next, our winner, your favorite song... With 245 votes, it's Listen to the Band. Stevie Black writes, Listen to the Band is my choice. It's the tagline I always use when I'm promoting my own band's gigs. Well, good luck on your gigs, Stevie, especially now. Becky Hunter writes, Listen to the Band. To be fair, The Monkees Present hasn't been an album I was ever able to obtain as a kid, and because of that, I'm not as familiar with the other songs. I know, I know. <gasps> Listen to the Band was not my favorite when I first heard it, even though I tend to love Nez's tunes, but it grew on me over time. I'm a sucker for a good brass section, and this has it. The song is a strange combination of feel-good and melancholy, which is only helped by Nez's teardrop vocals. It's also become possibly the unofficial Monkees theme. I've only caught some of their concerts online. I know, gasp again. <gasps> But it seems like the band plays that song to begin the opening instrumental medley, correct? There's something about it that says, listen to us. We want to make you happy and help you through this rough time. Let me tell you, they've done that just for me many a time since I first discovered them. I think that the monkeys have been a bright spot for most of us. She also writes, you don't have to mention my weird rambling on the podcast unless you somehow read something of worth here. Listen, if we're going to talk about weird ramblings, I would not be on this show. So I'm glad I read your stuff, Becky. Jan Swanton writes, Listen to the band. It is like Hamlet, so skillfully written. It can be interpreted in many ways indeed. Mike never sings it the same way twice. 
I'm sorry, but I think I'm going to butcher this next name. Megan McCoy Del... Delicis? Delicis? Megan McCoy Delicis, Listen to the Band, is one of those heart-pounding sing-along songs that is easy to rock out to in your car as it is to be live in concert. Michael Lindy writes, Listen to the Band, such a great horn arrangement. Rob Skinner writes, I love to listen to Listen to the Band. I think that it has become one of their trademark songs and a staple of compilation. It should have been a bigger hit than it was. Better than a minor hit than not having the song at all. Mark Stewart says that he has a feeling that it is the only track on this LP that gets universal love. You may be right about that. Day Job Refugees writes, For me, it's hard to believe that a man without a dream, but Listen to the Band is a song that, as we go along, can't be topped by all the king's horses or even someone as great as St. Matthew. So, (laughs) a lot said there. Jack Ferry writes, It's not even close. Listen to the Band is the only song on here that's worth repeated listening. The other songs may have some interesting parts, but they're not in the same league. David Penn writes, Listen to the band. I never heard it until I got the Arista Greatest Hits album and was so surprised. It sounded so different to almost everything I had heard from the Monkees up till then. It showed me that there was more beside the first four albums and head that I was unaware of. Tina Walters writes, It's the best track on the album. Eileen Alps writes, Listen to the band. Not at least because it was this song that turned my kiddo into a Monkees fan. I love Nez's songwriting, plus his delivery of the song, especially on the 33 and a third special. It is sublime, maybe one of the few redeeming features of that train wreck of a TV special. It's just a unique song arrangement. I've never heard anything quite like it. It's difficult to classify into a genre. The Monkees Archives just posted an amazing remix video cut on YouTube that gives me life. S. Adam Bernstein writes, Listen to the band because it was kind of the final song on my first Monkees album, which was the 1976 RCA Best of Double LP. For me, as a kid, it was the climax of my favorite album at the time, and the crowd applause at the end is appropriate. Also a great Nesmith song from 68 Nashville Sessions, and... It also was on Peter Tork's final appearance prior to the reunions of the show's 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Rich Clement writes, I chose listen to the band because it represents what the non-daydream believers should do when they say the monkeys are not a real band. Chris McGovern writes, listen to the band. I can't think of any other song from the post-Tork, post-series era of the group, 1969-1970, that has had this much popularity and shelf life. And it seems like it's more meaningful now, more than ever. Melissa McKay writes, Listen to the band. It is an essential monkey's listen. Great hook, great lyrics, fantastic arrangement. David Anderson writes, I chose Listen to the band. It is truly the only standout track on side two, if not the entire album. It's a shame it failed to chart higher than it did because it's a great country-based rocker that ranks right up there with the Eagles, etc. Jenny Messa-Wolk writes, Listen to the band. Man, 10-year-old me would rock out hard to that song. Chris Allman writes, Listen to the band. I always felt it was Mike's attempt to get his music and the monkeys taken seriously. It sticks in your mind when you hear it, and the fade-out and the crescendo is the first thing I ever heard that made me stop and say, Wow. Gary Isbell writes, This is Nez's protest song to the critics. You can hear it in his voice just as he sings, Listen to the band, later in the song. There's a defining tone in it, as if to say, Listen, do you hear? We are a band. 
Terrence Dollard writes, Somehow, listen to the band enters that realm of songs that you hear and instantly it becomes part of you. The simple lyrics that hide their depth, the slick production, the powerful brass, and that fade-out tease that comes back with one last ferocious chorus. Yes, it reminds me of Helder Skelter and later Kiss's I Love It Loud. It's pretty cool how it does that. Carrie Gordon writes, Listen to the band. It is the ultimate mix of country, rock, and I love the organ break. It is synonymous to me when I think of Nez. Troy Payne writes, Listen to the band. It is this track that I play to non-monkey fans when they deride them for not being a real band to show them what the monkeys are like when they write their own tracks. Patrick John Moreau writes, Listen to the band is one of the coolest songs that Nesmith ever wrote and recorded. Even though it didn't chart high, it was included on the original Monkey's Greatest Hits album. Sarah Sarah says, Listen to the band is one of the best song ever, period. And in closing on this one, Michael Nesmith has went on record saying that this song is not a statement, that he didn't intend it to be, but Cindy Large kind of sums it up for me when she writes, Listen to the band because it pretty much becomes the fans' anthem to the guys. Weren't they good? They made me happy. I think I can make it alone. I think that we, all as fans, have drawn strength and love from the Monkees' music, the TV show, from one another, and etc. When we felt alone or gone through rough times and used this song and others to get us through, and in turn reflected it right back to the guys. Thank you, Cindy. You summed it up very well. So all songs have a meaning. As Nez wrote, it cannot be a part of me, for now it's part of you. So whatever these songs mean to you, whatever you think of them, let us know. Thank you for being part of Zilch today. Thank you for being part of us on the Facebook page and on Twitter. And thank you, most importantly, for sharing the show. That one little click where you just left-click and share that show, it really helps us spread the news of Zilch and what we're trying to do here. I want to thank you for listening to Zilch today, for making this part of your workout, maybe your drive across town, or maybe just whatever you're doing as you're sitting in your home office, or if you're at work, we hope to keep you company, and thank you for listening once again. So we will see you all on the next episode of Zilch. There's some cool monkeys news coming out. We'll be back soon. Until then, take some time out to be safe and monkey around. See ya. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.